Thanks for joining us here in Centralia, Illinois, where we are a community of people who are not perfect and don't pretend to be. Our hope and prayer is that through the following message, you are encouraged, blessed, and inspired to meet the Lord in a powerful way. All right, well, good morning again, and welcome to week number one of the series, Beginning of the End Times. I don't know about you, but this is a topic that excites me. Uh, This is a topic I think should excite all of us that claim the name of Jesus. But it's also a topic that can get very confusing. It's a topic that could uh, be scary on some levels. And so what I want to do is uh, over the next uh, seven weeks, I want to unpack what God says in his word about the topic of the end times. And here's what I want you to remember every week as I get up here and as I speak to you, and that's this. There's three principles that I want you to apply. Matter of fact, if I were you and if you've got the um, note takers that we we put out there, the hot sheets, um, grab onto that and then hang on to that cover uh, because I'm going to go through that. And I would encourage you to know wherever you're at, look around. If you see one sitting loose, grab onto that and and hang on to it. Um, I would grab the pens out and I would be ready to write um, some notes right there on that bulletin cover that you have in front of you. And so here are the three principles I want you to understand. And number one is this, don't just take my word for it. Now, I appreciate the fact that as a pastor, uh, the words I say carry a lot of weight, but I I also always, um, on all topics, challenge you to make sure that you go and you verify, not just that I said it, but that the Bible says it as well. And so the the first thing is, don't take my word for it. Um, Acts 17.11 gives us a great example, and I'll just read this very quickly to you. And it says, now these Jews were more noble than those in Thessalonica. And he's referring to the Jews in Berea. And they received the word with all eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. And I think that you would take your walk with Christ, you would take your relationship as a Christ follower to a new level if just like these Christians, these early first church Christians, they um, examined the scriptures daily to see if it was so. And so what I hope over the next seven weeks, that all of the words that I say, I hope that you go back online and you watch this again. I hope that you'll take notes. I hope that you'll dig into God's word and verify if the words I say line up with scripture. That's principle number one. Principle number two is this. Remember the context of framework. And here's what I mean by that. Daniel made this statement, in the last days, people will run to and fro. Now, when Daniel wrote those words, and he, he said the words run to and fro, matter of fact, I would say that in the first, church, the, the, the first um, century church, that when they read those words, running to and fro, they had a different thought or a different concept than we have as we read these words today. They thought that they would be running to and fro. They thought that they would literally be on their feet running. They thought that they would be running beside the chariot. I mean, that's the context that they understood it. Today, if we look at the the words of Daniel in the last days, they'll run to and fro. We don't think about running beside a chariot, do we? No, we think about what? Planes, trains, and automobiles. And how that with planes, they can go from one continent to the other in just a matter of hours. And so as I unfold these different principles, I want you to understand it from the context that here in 2021, we read and we see and we understand. But but I I just want to tell you this. Should the Lord tarry and, and he not come back for 10 years, they'll probably understand those words very differently than we do. They won't be thinking about planes, trains, and automobiles. They'll be thinking about hovercraft. They'll be thinking about um, other kinds of vehicles that move a little quicker than what we're used to. This principle number two is remember the context of 
framework. And then the third principle is this, keep the first things first. You have to remember what is important. This is an exciting subject, but this is an exciting subject that can cause a lot of division. It can cause a lot of people to wonder. It can cause a lot of people to doubt their faith. Because they read the words and they don't understand it, or they read the words and it seems like it's impossible. And so we need to remember to keep the first things first. And, that, and that's this, two, two pieces of advice. Number one is that we want to remember to uh, look at the whole counsel of Scripture. Now, I will pick out verses in Revelation. I'll pick them out in Ezekiel. I'll read some from Isaiah and Jeremiah and Micah. But what's important for us to remember is not just those individual verses, but the context of the entire book that they were written in, and also the context that they line up with each other. So when we keep first things first, number one is we're going to look at the whole counsel of Scripture. And number two is I want you to make sure of your salvation. Folks, um, as exciting as this subject matter is, as riveting and as interesting as it can be, it is of no regard as if you sit here for seven weeks, and at the end of seven weeks, the rapture happens, and you are left behind. The whole reason that we preach every Sunday is so that those who are far from Christ will be drawn to Christ. And when they get close, they'll, they'll make a decision to establish a relationship with the creator of the universe. So that brings me to the first thing, and that is I want to talk to you about what is the end times? You know, this is a loaded question. What is, what in the world are you talking about? Let me just give it to you in, in one sentence, and that is the end times refers to God's plan for the ages. You see, when God wrote this, when God planned this out, he knew the start from the end. He knew the beginning from the finish. He knew exactly what was going to happen, when it would happen, how it happened, and most importantly, why it would happen. I want to open up to, and, and I would encourage you to, if you've got a Bible, if you don't, there's Bibles there in front of you in the, the seats underneath. Uh, find the book of Ephesians, and if you're grabbing one under the chairs, it's page 1,193, and I want to read to you a, a passage here in verses Ephesians 1, 3 through 11, that kind of answers this whole, what is the end times? How does God have a plan for the ages, and, and how does it affect me? And so I'm going to start reading Ephesians 1, verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. Now, because I'm talking about the end times, I want us to understand the whole concept of time. And when I talk about the whole concept of time, what that means is that we need to understand that God had a plan for you from the foundation of the world. God had a plan for you when Adam and Eve were in the garden. God had a plan for you when Jesus was hanging on the cross. God has a plan for you today in 2021 that was established before the foundation of the world. Continuing in verse 4, that we should be holy and blameless before Him. The problem is that there's no way for us to be holy and blameless. At some point, we all recognize that. Today, you saw six people who recognized that they can't be holy and blameless, and they cried out to God, help me. They, they accepted the free gift of salvation, and they demonstrated to us in a physical act what happened to them inside. And as I go into verse 5, it says, In love, He predestined us for adoption to Himself. You know, Christians get a lot of criticism from the world. Jesus said it, but because of my name, people are going to hate you. So, so get used to it, folks. It's not going away. It's going to get worse. But here's what I want you to understand. That in love, God, the creator of this universe, predestined you for adoption. The question is, are you going to respond? Because God gives us a free will. As it continue reading verse 5. 
he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will. To the praise of his glorious grace which with, with which we, he has blessed us in the beloved Verse 7, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight. Now watch, making known in verse 9, to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ. In verse 10, it says, as a plan for the fullness of time. See, a lot of times we don't look at it that way. We don't even think about the fullness of time. Matter of fact, I would argue that we don't even understand the concept of time. See, here in this universe, we live in a linear universe. There was a beginning and there will be an end to this universe as we know it. But when it comes to eternity, there was no beginning with God. There is no ending with God. God is. That's hard for a lot of us to get into our pea brains. It's hard for many of us to understand that concept because all we know is if we look at a headstone, it has a date of when their life began and it has a date of when their life ended. We go through history and we think about nations. We have a date when they were established and we have a date when they fell. And looking at this concept of time, we look at our world as we know it, and we see that God established time. If you would, turn to Genesis chapter 1. Genesis chapter 1, I'm going to read verse 5 to you, and it said, God called the light day, and darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning the first day. Now, uh, I want you to understand, if you read through the Genesis account of creation, that wasn't when creation started. That was when time started. That's when God put this universe on the clock. And so what I want to do today is I want to introduce you to the Bible timeline. That is why I've encouraged all of you to grab one of the hot sheets or note takers and to hang on to that cover because that cover is the timeline. That cover, matter of fact, that cover is the timeline that you find in this book right here. But the reality is this, this isn't just a book. This is a collection of 66 different books written by 40 different authors over a period of uh, 1,500 years. It was written in three different languages on three different continents. But as you read through it, it has one solitary message. I challenge you, there has been million-dollar challenges put out there in the past. Find any collection of 66 different books written by 40 different authors over a 1,500-year period of time in three different languages on three different continents and find one solitary message. You won't find it unless you look in God's holy word, unless you look in what we call the Bible. And as we look at the Bible and you open this up and you, you begin to study it, you'll find out that 50% of this book is man's history. Now, I get, you're not going to find this in your elementary children's uh, school books. They have a wholly, totally different history that they're teaching. And what's interesting is this history has not changed in thousands of years. Their history continues about every 15 years to change. Matter of fact, um, when I was in high school just a few years ago, It was thousands and thousands of years ago. And then about 15 years after that, it changed to millions and millions of years ago. And now it's billions and billions of years. I mean, come on, 30 years. And, and it has changed that much. God's Word hasn't in thousands of years. See, it doesn't need to change when the author was the creator of the universe. So 50% of this book is man's history. 25% of this book is instructions on how to live. That's probably where you should spend a lot of time. And then 25% of this book is prophecy. 
It's words that guarantee us of what's going to happen in the future. Why would God write down something 700 years ago, 2,000 years ago? He did that to establish our faith. You see, there was a group of people that were looking for the Messiah, and yet when the Messiah came, they missed him. There are, I, I would be hard-pressed to believe that there aren't many of us in this room, many watching online, who read God's Word and they get discouraged because it doesn't happen in the time that they want it to happen. They pray and they ask God to answer a prayer and, and they don't listen to the, the verse that says, if He hears, you will receive. And all they understand is, well, I haven't gotten anything yet. And so they abandon their faith. Here's what I want you to know when it comes to the Bible timeline. There are four pivotal events that I want you to be aware of. And, and you see these on that outline in front of you. Matter of fact, if you open it, if you have it opened and it's folded, um, you look there on the left is the, the start of time and creation. What I read to you in Genesis chapter 1 and verse 5. If you move a little bit further to the right, you will see, matter of fact, here's what I want you to understand is there are some yellow lines on there. And each one of those yellow lines represents for a thousand years. So you see creation, and we believe that creation happened around 4200 BC. So if you move a little bit to the right, you'll see that there's a yellow line there, and that would represent 4000 BC. And then if you continue to move on, you will see um, another yellow line, which would represent 3000 BC. But before you get there, something else happened the flood. That's right. Now, um, the scientific books will tell you that uh, there is no evidence for the flood until you start looking. And when you start looking, you can't deny that this earth has experienced a worldwide catastrophic flood. And I don't even know that we even can fathom and understand that. You know, when we think of floods, we think of streets. We think of sometimes whole city blocks. Uh, when I think of a flood, I think of what we experienced in Hurricane Katrina down in Biloxi, Mississippi, where most of the city was underwater. I think of just um, about 30 miles to the west where there was a, a city, a town called Waveland, Mississippi. The entire town was 10 feet underwater. But that is nothing compared to the complete coverage of the world as we know it by water. And you may be saying, do you really believe that? I do. It's not hard because if an if a, if a author could write something and 700 years later, the Messiah come and fulfill over 120 different very specific prophecies, I've got confidence. Not only that, when I see him um, involve himself in my life, I get confidence. And so as I look at that timeline, it doesn't matter that somebody with a PhD or four tells me that that's impossible, that didn't happen because the earth is billions and billions of years old. Now, they have no evidence for that. They have theories. And to be honest with you, it takes more faith to believe those theories than it does the words that are written in this book. So there's the creation. And then about 1,400 years later, there was the flood. And then if you flip the page over, you will see a special time. There is um, a red cross there. And that was Christ's first coming. He was born of a virgin in a town called Bethlehem. He grew up and he um, lived a perfect life. And then he was presented as the Messiah and rejected by the people who were looking for him. And then if you go all the way to the right, you'll see another column there, and it's marked Christ's second coming. Now, I want you to understand that is not a linear 
graph there. So you'll see how I uh, got uh, about 3,000 years on half a page on the front side. And then when you go into the middle of it, you'll see um, how that I took seven years and I made it about the size of 3,000 years. Here's what I want you to know. Over the next seven weeks, I'm going to cover everything that's on the front, the inside, and the back of that chart. And I would encourage you to keep that one with you and keep coming back with it and continue to write more notes on that. But here's what we also know as we look at that time chart, is that along that timeline, from Genesis 1, verse 5, in the first day, until the end of that timeline when there will be a new heaven and a new earth, time was split. And you'll see a longer yellow line, and, um, and that's just to the left of that red cross. Before that red cross, they time things B.C., which stands for before Christ. On the right side of that timeline, they have named it A.D., Anno Domini, Latin, which means in the year of our Lord. And so today we live in the year of our Lord, 2021. But just like everything, many people want to discount what they see in Scripture. And if it's found in here, it gets marginalized. Uh, we see this every year. Um, right after Thanksgiving as we get ready for Christmas. And there are people who will take that word Christ and they will, apparently it's too many letters, and they replace it with the X. See, they want the gifts. They want the parties. They want the, the good times, but they don't want the Christ that brought. And so today, they have taken that B.C. and A.D. and they've changed it. And they've changed B.C. to B.C.E., which means before common error. And then they changed the A.D. to C.E., which means common error. See, they are doing everything they can to take Christ out of our history. But the reality is this, that Jesus Christ came down and he split time and they divided time before him and they've divided time after him. And you know what? They can argue. They can uh, tell us that that, you know, you don't know what you're talking about. But the reality is for 1700 years, every date that was written was based on that time split that Jesus Christ made when he entered this universe. But here's the reality, folks. Those four events, the creation, the flood, Christ's first coming have all happened. They are real. There's evidence. And there's one more coming, and that's Christ's second coming. That brings us to this topic of the beginning of the end times. Because when God put this timeline together, he knew the beginning from the end. He knew when Jesus would come the first time. He knows when he will come back. But the reality is this, that nobody else does. You see, nobody knows the time. In 2021, we are on the doorsteps of Christ's return. If you don't believe that, folks, you're going to get surprised. And I hope it's a good surprise. But the reality is this, that there is a danger in date setting. Matter of fact, the only reason that somebody would set dates is to sell books. Because the, God told us, nobody knows. Jesus said these words, nobody but the Father. Now, I, you may not be able to understand this, and this might make some, I mean, I might see little heads like explode right now. But the, Jesus said that only the Father knows the time. You see, prophecy is not written to scare us. It's written to inform us. 2 Thessalonians in chapter 2, verse 3 says these words, Be not deceived. Now, why would Paul tell them to not be deceived? Because there were people who were being In this congregation, there are people watching online. I promise you there are people all over the city of Centralia 
that are deceived. What we want to make sure is that we are not the ones that are deceived. That is our challenge. That is what God, speaking through Paul, tells every one of us today is to not be deceived. You see, the Bible instructs us very clearly to be vigilant. It teaches us that no one can say for certain when the end of time is coming. I can tell you this with all absolute certainty, that we are at least 1,007 years and 45 days from the end of that timeline. Now, I can't, I'm not going to tell you that this morning. You'll have to come back next week. And I'll explain why I know that it's 1,007 years and 45 days. One of the, the dean of the, my seminary that I went to, he was famous for this quote. And if you have the U version and you pulled up the event, you'll see this quote right there on the event. And it says, nobody knows the time, so don't try to guess the time. If you do, you will be only wasting your time. Instead, be ready all the, because he can come at any time. Amen. Boy, I tell you what, some of the worship services that we experience here, you know, I mean, I want to get as high as I can to beat a couple of y'all to heaven. When Jesus calls us home. But I want you to, to, to tell you this, that Peter, the disciple that rejected Jesus, but the one who Jesus loved and who uh, uh, helped establish the church, he did not suggest that believers should head for the hills. He did not suggest that we should stock up on ammo. He did not suggest that we should uh, have food supply for the next 50 years. That's not what Peter said. And, and instead, he said these words. Now, now, don't get me wrong. I've got all of those things. Uh, I'm not a hypocrite, all right? Uh, uh, but I'm not an idiot either. But here's what Peter said. He says, since all of these things will be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness? Looking for and hastening the coming day of God, because of which the heavens will be dissolved, being on fire, and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Folks, it is coming. The end of times is closer to us. I know that every day I wake up, it's closer than it was yesterday. I, you know, I, I figured that out. I'm closer to going to heaven every time I wake up. I, I appreciate that. I value that. So what are we to do? Well, based on what Scripture tells us, that we're to keep an eye on the sky, but our feet firmly planted in the ground. You see, as long as you wake up, God has a mission. God has a purpose for your life. I don't care if you're 6, 16, or 166. God is not done with you, and when he is, he will call you home. So get busy today. Matter of fact, I want to uh, read with you a, a challenge that the uh, church in Thessalonica experienced. And if you would, open up your Bibles to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. It's page 1208 on the Bibles that we provide. First Thessalonians 5, and I'm going to read to you verses 1 through 6. It says, Now concerning the times and the seasons, brothers, you have no need to have anything written to you. For you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying there is peace and security, then sudden destruction will come upon them as labor pains, upon, as upon a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. And so a lot of people read those first three verses and say, you know, we don't know the time. And that is absolutely 100% correct. But then let me read the next three verses, starting verse 4. But you are not in darkness, brothers. And I would tell you, Crossroads Church, you are not in darkness especially now that we have the completed work of Scripture, for that day to surprise you like a thief. See, when Jesus comes, when He calls us home in the rapture, none of us should be surprised. But the reality is this, church, that if the rapture happens sometime this week, next Sunday, there will be some of you still here.
It doesn't have to be. If you don't believe me, believe the words of Billy Graham, probably one of the greatest evangelists our generation has known. And he said these words that at least half of those that attend church regularly are not going to heaven. That's sad. That's that's what should scare us. But you are not in darkness, brothers, for the day to surprise you like a thief. In verse 5, for you are all children of light, children of the day. We are not of the night or of the darkness. So then let us not sleep as others do, but let us keep awake and be sober. See, church, that is our admonition. We should be looking for the return of Jesus Christ. And we should be looking for it unapologetically. We shouldn't be looking at it and say, well, you know what? Uh, They disagree with that over at CNN. There's a lot of things they disagree with me on. Uh, We shouldn't look at it and think that, well, you know, when I read the New York Times, "Ah, that's not what they're saying, Pastor Ronnie. Well, you know what? Uh, Not both of us can be right. But here's what I hope we all understand is that this topic of prophecy, this topic of God speaking words that will come true. And what's exciting is to know that we live in a time when we, there are people here in this room that may be alive when more of prophecy is fulfilled than in any other time. I'm going to talk about that this next couple of weeks. Forget the ideal that Bible prophecy cannot be understood and start studying it. Become an Acts 17.11 Christian. Become somebody who is digging into God's Word daily. Here's what I want you to understand is the greatest danger that we face is the heresy that's intertwined with in cultural landscape by false teachers. False teachers get into the church. False teachers are teaching things from pulpits today all across this nation, all across the globe. And it didn't come from God's word. I promise you not all preachers that are preaching this morning agree with what I'm going to share with you on this topic of the beginning of the end times. But I also can promise you that God's word is true. And just because it doesn't happen in your timeline doesn't mean that it won't happen in God's timeline. Because everything that he has ordained has happened just the way he said it. And the problem is that many of us, that we look at life and we look at just the the personal challenges that we have. These may be health challenges. These may be relationship challenges. These may be uh, related to job. But what I want you to understand is that when God, there's a bigger story out there. See, uh, he's told us in his word that our fight is against the people to your right and your left. Our fight isn't against the people who didn't come to church with you this morning. Our fight isn't with the people who are going to chastise you all this week because you're a Jesus follower. Our fight is in a spiritual realm. And all of these things that happened on that timeline, the whole reason why there was a flood was because of a spiritual problem. I'm going to teach that to you. And so here's what we should all understand today, and that is Jesus clearly taught us to expect him at any moment. All of his apostles and disciples, they believed that before they died, Jesus was coming back. Well, they were wrong. Okay. I can live with that. But Jesus is still coming back. And so today I would tell you that it is time for a decision. All of us have to make this decision. And the the biggest question is, do you believe that Jesus will return at any moment? I can tell you that that I, I believe that with every fiber of my being. Matter of fact, I think that um, it's easy for me to say that I look forward to the day when he calls us home. God has blessed me with a very good life here, a great job. But I want to be with him. So the decision that I put before you is, 
Are you a 2 Peter 3, 4 Christian? Or are you a Titus 2, 13 Christian? 2 Peter 3, 4 says these words right here. They will say, where is his coming as he promised? Ever since our ancestors died, everything goes on as it has since the beginning of creation. He's not talking about the, the world. He's not talking about people who don't follow Christ. There are Christians who say, that, well, you know what? It's, it, 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 that's not what he meant. He's really not going to come back. You know, that was just an ideal. And folks, that's, that's an ideal that will send people to hell. You see, with the imminent return, we rob our, without an imminent return, we rob our faith of its vitality. And we rob our witness of its urgency. Because we make the mistake and we say these words, well, I've got tomorrow. And the reality is this, that you don't know that you have tomorrow. You don't know that you have tonight. Many of you are going to go home and you're going to find out about somebody or you're going to find out about some bad news. And then you're going to realize that time is not guaranteed to any of us. If you follow sports, there's a, a phenomenon that happens in sports and that two teams can be playing. And I think of the game of football and um, two teams are playing and no scores, no yards, nothing's happening. They just punt the football and have three downs and punt the football and they do this for two hours. And then there becomes this special phenomenon in football called the two-minute warning. And then in the last two minutes of a game, the teams that couldn't score anything in the first 58 minutes are now make three scores in two minutes. Why? Because of the urgency of the end of that clock. And the reality is this, that we as Christians, if we don't live our life with urgency, if we don't live our life knowing that one day we will die, if we don't live our life realizing that the clock will stop. Whether or not you see the two-minute clock, it's ticking. So you can either be sitting on the bench wondering what's going on, or you can get on the field and start telling others about what's going on. Church, I'm a Titus 2.13 Christian. Titus 2.13 says these words, that I'm waiting for our blessed hope. What is that? The appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. I'll let Christians say, well, you know what, Ronnie, you know, um, that's just not going to happen. You're going to die a couple years from now, and, you know, things are going to go on. Okay. Here's what I know. Is when I die, I'll be present with Jesus. And number two, is that he's still coming back. Maybe it wasn't in my day. Maybe it wasn't as close as I thought. But it's coming back. True Christianity embraces the literal, bodily, invisible return of Jesus Christ. This is not an ideal. This is not a concept. This isn't we hope or we think or, you know, in your heart. No, Jesus Christ one day is going to split the clouds and he's going to come back and he's going to set down in Israel. And when he does that, he's going to cause an earthquake that has never been seen since the beginning of time to include the flood. So maybe we should take the words that Paul gave to Timothy in 2 Timothy 2.15, and he said this, study to show yourself approved unto God, a workman that doesn't need to be ashamed. Folks, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand. I'm not going to ask you to indict yourself. But the truth of the matter is many of us that call ourselves Christ followers probably experience shame in the way that we represent Jesus. And we do that because we get caught up in today. We got caught up in the temporary and we lose con the concept of the eternal. We think about the headstone and we wonder what's going to be said about that dash. And the reality is this, that one day that dash, that headstone, all of it's going to be burnt up. 
going to be dissolved. That's what we read earlier. And the thing that's going to last for eternity is your soul. Boy, when I was in my 20s, I came across this bumper sticker, and it had these letters, R-U-E, with a question mark. Matter of fact, you see it here on the coffee mug. R-U-E. And oh, when I see things like this and I can't figure out the puzzle, I start digging and uh, come to find out, here's what the, the bumper sticker was asking the question, and it was R-U-R-E-D-E. And I wonder, sitting here today, watching online today, are you ready? You see, we need to quit measuring time in minutes and seconds. We need to quit measuring time in weeks and days and months and years. Folks, those are going to come and those are going to go. As a Christ follower, we should start measuring time and opportunities. And I wonder how many of us are measuring it in time of missed opportunities. You see, as a follower of Christ, God needs you. He needs me. He needs Crossroads Church to stand up and lift the name of Jesus high. And he said, if you'll do that, I will draw all men to me. So uh, stop worrying about your past because that's the history. I know that they're going to bring up your past and and they're going to remind you. And probably the hardest thing as a Christ follower is to run into somebody that you ran with when you were in high school or shortly after high school, when there were years where you're absolutely embarrassed on your behavior and you want to avoid them. And God wants an encounter so that they can see that he, if he can change you, they probably believe he can change anybody. You see, your past is a history. When we look to the future, when we think about Jesus coming back, that's hope. I love it. I preach hope. But here's what I want you to understand is today is a gift. That's why they call it the present. What are you doing with your present? What are you doing with today? Are you making excuses? Are you saying I'm too old? too sore, too broke? Or are you going to take every encounter that God brings you into and use it as an opportunity? Because one day, if you are a follower of Christ, there will be a trumpet that sounds and a shout from heaven. And when that happens, you will, in the twinkling of an eye, you will be caught up together with those that have gone before us. Listen, listen. There's going to be people left here. Your sons and daughters, your brothers and sisters, your moms and dads. They're going to be left. And the person that could show them the gospel through their life and through what Christ did through you. You see, you've got to get over trying to be a great Christian. There's not very many great Christians. And you start, you need to start accepting the grace that God pours on all of us. You see, it's that grace that makes it possible for me to get up here and preach. It's that grace that makes it possible for you to overcome that history that everybody in your family knows. It's that grace that God takes every law of his that you broke, that time that you spit in his face, that time he says that it was our sins that put stripes on his back, and it was our transgressions that bruised him. That grace covers all of that. That grace is what makes those around us want to be like Christ. I get it. You know, there's a lot of people who don't want to go to church because of people like us. And I love it when I hear that, you know what, I don't want to go to church because there's a bunch of hypocrites there. I just just want to tell people that hell's going to be full of them too. And if you don't want to go where the hypocrites are, well, let's go to a nicer place where the hypocrites are. 
But let's go to where the hypocrites are covered with grace. See, it's not about the life you live because you can't live a good enough life. You can't even live a good enough life after you've asked Christ to be your Savior. But here's what I want you to know today. Here's what Jesus says to you and he says to me. In Revelation chapter 3 and verse 20, he says these words, Behold, I stand at the door You're sitting out there and you know them that you can hear. You heard it last Sunday. You heard it Thursday when you turned on the radio. You heard it this morning when you woke up and you said, well, am I going to go to church or not? But one day you won't hear that knock anymore. One day you're going to continue to not answer that door. But when you do that, God says, my spirit will not always strive with you. Before the flood, he gave them 120 years to repent. 120 years. 120 years. In 120 years, only one man and his children listened and responded. For the last 2,000 years, for the last 20 years of your life, for the last three months, You look in front of you, there's these little orange cards. They're called decision cards. I'd encourage you to pull those out. Worship team, come on up. If you know what I'm talking about, if you hear that knocking, if you hear if you recognize that Jesus stands at the door right now and knocks, Here's what I would encourage you is to fill one of these out. We're going to sing in just a little bit, but it says, what's next? I dedicated my life to Christ or I rededicated my life to Christ. You know what? I believe that this room is filled with those that need to do both of those things. They, this summer you have taken off serving God. This summer you took off reading God's word. This summer you quit just for a little while, just for a couple weeks. And yet, you know what? Still going on. Stands at the door and knocks. There are many of us who need to rededicate the time that we have left before Jesus Christ comes back or the time that he left before we are called into eternity to live in such a way that we demonstrate the grace that God has given to us. What are we going to do? Are we going to put earplugs in and miss out? Are we going to put headphones on? Are we going to turn the music up louder? Are we going to live life a little bit more? Or are we going to answer the door? You see on the back here, it says something very simple. How do you answer that door that, that Jesus is knocking on? So number one, you admit that you're a sinner. Folks, I wish I could get up here and tell you I'm a pretty good guy. <laughs> then I was born. Just spent the yesterday afternoon with my brother and sister, and uh, many times I'm reminded of uh, just how ornery I was. <laughs> See, I, I admitted that I was a sinner. And the second point here is that it's what we call the ABCs is to believe, to believe that Jesus Christ, this story, the man who split time between BC and AD to believe that he was the son of God, that he died on a cross for my sins. He died for your sins. And then see, 
confess it. Romans 10, 9 and 10. If you believe in your heart that Jesus Christ was the Son of God, that he died on the cross and rose again, you will be saved. You saw it. Six folks demonstrated what happened in their heart. I hope, I hope, I pray that if God's working on your heart today, you'll fill one of these out. And on your way out, you'll make sure that you drop this in. I'll call you this week. While we're about to sing this next song, you can come up here and I'll be standing over here. I'd love to talk to you. But God is not going to continue forever. One day he'll stop. One day his spirit will stop striving with ours. One day many of us are going to be taken away. One day, there's going to be a lot of people left here on this earth. I've told you that right now, many of us experience the passive wrath of God when we elect to go against the laws that He's written. We don't understand why, God, are you letting this happen? And yet we, we see how He ordained it, and we just don't want to live in that economy. And so we try it on our own, and it doesn't work out. And so we do what is natural. We blame God. But even that God that you blame says, I love you. I'm at the door. I'm willing to forget and forgive everything. You stand with us and Listen to these words. Let me pray real quick. God, that you come back. But God, we want to keep our feet firmly planted and we do not want to look forward and forget about today. We don't want to forget about our sons and daughters. We don't want to forget about our moms and dads, our brothers and sisters who are not a Christian who have never accepted the grace that you have given to us. And God, as we sing about one day, Lord, I just pray that no one in this room would allow themselves to leave without making sure their salvation. And God, I pray that over the next seven weeks, God, that we will reach out and we will we will take your name to our neighbors and our friends. In Jesus' name. As a church, it's our honor to play a small part in all that God is doing in and through your life, and we would love to continue with you on that journey. You see, it's our mission to lead people to become fully devoted followers of Christ who walk by faith and not by sight.